And now let's hear God speak his word uh, first from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And from Romans, the 12th chapter, the first two verses, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Might have seen it in the news, I don't know. Um, They compiled some data, and it indicates that Illinois is the 10th most sinful state in the United States. Ten. We're number 10. We're, nobody's taking up the chant. Um, Illinois ranks high in vanity, anger, and hatred, jealousy, lust, and laziness, but very low in greed. Regarding excessive drinking, Wisconsin was number one. Uh, Illinois ranked only 46th. Now, I've not yet been to a Chicago Bears game. What can I say? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how they determined this stuff, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Here we are in Ephesians. We are in the fourth chapter. We're going to deal with the second half of the chapter uh, today. I'm going to do it, uh, attend to it in two readings. Right now, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Lord, you have seen fit to preserve your word for us. The things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction, that we would have everything we need, all sufficiency to know the way of salvation, 
and to know how to walk in manners worthy of our calling in Christ. And so we've taken this one hour, this one hour of the week, a little scantily more, to gather for public worship, to, to sing your praises, to give gifts, um, to pray and seek your face, to read, to give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to proclaim your glories, your excellencies, that we might be built up in the faith, that we might be encouraged, that we might press on to maturity in Christ, that we might walk with you today, that we might make it through another week. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Strengthen our faith now. Through your gospel, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the Heidelberg Catechism, now the, the standards of this church are the Westminster standards. In a catechism, you, you probably know, is a series of questions and answers it's used as a teaching tool. The Heidelberg Catechism, which one of my professors called the sweetest document of the Reformation, in the uh, 56th question is, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is this, or here's part of the answer that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, meaning that Christ made satisfaction for sin, that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long. And that's the part I wanted you to hear this morning, that Heidelberg, you know, written hundreds of years ago, uh, which is kind of a companion to Westminster, mentions this struggle against sin, a lifelong struggle against sin. You come to know Jesus, you place your trust in him as your Savior and Lord, you receive forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, you're made alive to God, his spirit rushes into your heart by which you cry out, Abba, Father, and you rejoice in your salvation that you know the Lord. And before very long, you realize, I still sin. (laughs) In fact, Westminster tells us every day, that's part of the battle. So what do we do with this? Well, there, we need to be renewed, it says in Ephesians 4. And we're going to look now at the process of renewal, letter A in your outline. The process of renewal. Uh, put off and put on. That's, that's the thrust of this passage right here. Uh, a couple of sermons ago, I, I uh, kind of saved my main emphasis, main point for well into the sermon. Here we got it right at the outset. This is it. Put off and put on. Put off or put away. It's used three times in the passage. Verses 22, 25, and 31. And then put on. To put off is to lay aside. And it's stronger than that. It really means to renounce. To renounce it. To put on. Some people, when they read this, they think, you know, they have a, a, maybe a bit of inner hes- hesitation. Put on. You know, when it talks about put on love or put on kindness, put on a heart of compassion, I think it says in Colossians 3, and put on, well, is that fake, right? Because we talk about putting on airs. Oh, you know, look at her. She, she always puts on airs. You know, she acts nice in polite company, but terrible behind the scenes is what we mean by that. And we think, well, I want to be genuine. I want to be authentic. I don't want to put on something that I'm not truly But no, the emphasis of the scripture here is this is who we are truly in Christ. We are endued with power from on high. 
We need to be dressed or clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's not putting on airs. That's living out your new nature in Christ. The fact that you've been changed, you've been transformed. Now, I used this story when I came and candidated the first Sunday here in November, but to say the same thing again is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. It's the best story I know of putting off and putting on. It's the best illustration I have of the gospel in my little arsenal, my toolkit. told you about my brother-in-law, Bo, that he spent, uh, I can't remember if it was one or two summers. He, you know, he's a college student, and he worked a summer job. He worked on a garbage truck. That's what he did. He, he was one of those, you know, you grab the handle on the garbage truck and hold on for dear life. You're only going 50 feet to the next can. At the end of the day, you know, he wore, I don't remember what kind of shirt. I guess it was summer in southwestern Virginia, very hot, sweltering, humid. And so I guess he probably just wore t-shirts. But I remember very well his, his jeans and the dirty, gross, nasty, gripping slop that would come out of the garbage truck and create a, a kind of nasty soup, and some of it would slop onto his clothing. And he spent the summer with us, and so when he would come uh, back to the house, he was not allowed to come straight in the sidewalk right up to the main front door. He wasn't allowed to do that. He had to walk down the asphalt driveway to the back of our house and go in the basement. And in the basement there, we had... and. Uh, Half of the basement was finished, and the other half was a tiled floor, storage mostly, and we had a laundry sink and laundry, laundry machines and a shower stall. We didn't put it in. The original owners had put it in. And so what Bo had to do was he had to strip off the nasty garbage clothes and put them directly in the, the washing machine or the detergent, get that thing started, and then he would jump in the shower stall get cleaned, become cleansed, and put on fresh garments. And then he'd come up, the in, in, inside stairway, he'd come up to the main floor of the house. It's the best picture I still know about this idea of putting off and putting on. Or you might think about the admonition in, in Hebrews 12, when it talks about uh, laying aside uh, every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And sometimes when fellows preach on Hebrews 12, they talk about athletes. You know, think about a swimmer that they, they, they put off their main bulky clothing, right? And they, they even might so go so far as to, you know, use a razor and remove the hair to, to cut down on drag in the water resistance, right? Not that hair on your body is sinful. That's an encumbrance. And not only that, but they put on stuff too. They put on, you know, Speedo kind of, what is it? What is it they put on? It's not a helmet. It's a cap, a swim cap. Put on a swim cap. They put on these special body suits. There's zillions of dollars put into the research. And somebody's suit some years ago, one of the Olympics, wasn't allowed. It was too fast. It's not fair. Cyclists do the same thing, right? You're, you're slipping down. You're, you're putting off and you're putting on so that you won't be held down or held back, but you'll go faster. All right, so we put off and we put on. We put off the old self and put on the new self. And the old self is ignorant, impure, and ill-tempered. 
ignorant, verse 18, impure, verse 19, ill-tempered, I just had to come up with another I. I don't know why we preachers have to do this alliteration thing. Nobody ever remembers, but uh, I had to come up with another I. Ill-tempered, I'll tell you what I mean. The, the old self is the old nature, that sinful nature that is being corrupted. Verse 22, it's, it's deteriorating. It's kind of like fruit. You know, you leave apple, banana, whatever it is, uh, a, a pear and a basket on the counter. If you just leave it there too long, eventually it, it, it rots, it spoils, and it starts going bad and becomes putrid. Uh, and this passage talks about hard-heartedness, verse 18, callousness, verse 19. Only place this word is used in the Greek New Testament. It means unfeeling, even reckless. So the old self, that old nature, is ignorant, it's darkened, it's alienated with willful, blinded minds, or what I might call stinking thinking. The old self, ignorant, impure, impure, sensuality that is unrestrained. Now, sex is good. You know, God isn't embarrassed by sex. He, he thought it up. You know, he designed it. He knows how it works. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, we shouldn't talk about sex in the pulpit. We shouldn't talk about sex at church. There's children. What do you think they're getting out there? They're getting bombarded, just like you are and I am. I think we, we ought to talk about sex in church from a good and godly and biblical perspective. So sex is good. It's God's design, but it's designed for the proper context, the proper place for it. It's kind of like uh, my wife grew up in Michigan. She was a competitive figure skater. She, she did ice skating for years and years. In fact, she had to make a decision at the end of high school. Do I try for the Olympics or do I go to college? Anyway, the skates, the ice skates, you know, what do they do when they come outside of the bounds of the rink? What do they do? Immediately, you see them come over in the box and somebody's getting ready to stick a microphone in their face and they do this. They do, they do that, right? They, they're putting on skate guards because you can't, the, the skates don't work very well off the ice. And it's clumsy. You could fall. You could get hurt. You could cut yourself or somebody else. The same thing with God's design for sex. Beautiful. Good. In his plan, in the proper context, which is marriage. And I must add these days, between one man and one woman, the intent is for life. And the impurity that is mentioned here, the old self, is where your sensuality is unrestrained. You're seduced to sin. You're you're self-indulgent, but you're deceived, is what the scripture says. Verse 22, you're deceived. Ignorant, impure, and then my third eye, ill-tempered. And what I mean by ill-tempered is if you look at the laundry list of things in verse 31, it deserves quite a bit of attention. We just don't have time. Look, Look at those things that are in there, that laundry list in verse 31. I'll just touch on maybe a couple of them. Uh, it includes anger. We're going to talk about that later because the scripture also says be angry. And here it says put away anger. So what do we make of that? Well, this is impulsive, spiteful anger. This is flying off the handle. This is being quick-tempered, a hair-trigger temper, 
you're easily offended. Well, let me go ahead and address it right now then. What does the scripture say when it says, be angry? We're, our emotions are given to us by God. All emotions are in the image of God, and they're good, and God becomes angry at the right things. And, and Christians, we try to stuff our anger. Oh, I, I don't get angry. I, I know I'm a Christian. I, I never get angry. Yes, you do. And you ought to. You ought to because you're made in the image of God. Now, we can't trust our emotions. They're fallen. They're flawed. They're marred by sin. And so the thing about anger, be angry and yet do not sin. It's actually an imperative. It's a command. Be angry. We ought to be angry like God at injustice, at a lack of mercy, at hard-heartedness. If, if, if there are certain things that you witness and it doesn't get your dander up, you're wrong. There's something wrong with you if it doesn't make you angry. But how do you handle it? Um, there's that scripture in James that says that the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. The problem with our anger and why verse 31 says put away anger is most of our anger isn't about the big things, social injustice and what have you. It's about personal slights. It's about perceived offenses. Well, I walked past Bob when he was, you know, getting coffee in Fellowship Hall and he wasn't very nice to me. You know, that's the kind of thing that makes us angry. He's like that, you know. I mean, um, that's the kind of anger that we want to put away. Love doesn't take into account easily a wrong suffered. And yet sometimes as people we do, we're very easily offended. We Christians, we fail the love test. So put that kind of anger, being angry about the wrong stuff, put that aside. Lay that aside. But make no mistake about it. You do get angry. You should get angry, but you should handle it right. By the way, I just no more time to deal with that. I listen to sermons like I do my homework. I prepare my sermon, believe it or not. Um, and then after I do all my work, then I listen to other preachers preach the passage I'm going to preach. I do that mostly at monergism.com. Um, many of y'all will, will have heard of Tim Keller. Tim Keller has a great sermon on forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness and anger. If you want to hear more on that topic, go to monergism.com or just ask me, monergism.com. You have to, in your search bar, the fastest way to get you to it is look for Ephesians 4, not this whole passage, look for verses 25 through 32. And it'll get you there. A sermon just about forgiveness and anger. It's excellent. I was greatly ministered to by it. Okay, what else is in that laundry list we just can't touch on all? Bitterness. So that's the deal with anger is, you know, you ought to be angry about some things in the right way. Now, you ought to express it correctly, but don't give in to bitterness. Don't grow hard-hearted, right? Hebrews 12 has that warning. Let no root of bitterness spring up in your hearts by which you should, many have fallen short of the grace of God. That's, that's a problem. Well, the bottom line on the old self here is it's completely against, you know, if you've been with us at all this winter as we're walking through the book of Ephesians, at the end we're doing, we're trying to do some application. We're doing head, heart, hand. And all this stuff here that we've talked about is the anti-head, heart, hand. Don't be like this. Don't think that. Don't do that. That's the old self that was ignorant, impure, and ill-tempered. 
We instead put on the new self, which is described here in the passage as righteous and holy. It's the new nature. Righteous, now, you know, I, I think sometimes we nod the head at this stuff. Righteous and holy, yep, good stuff in church, yep. Not really true of me, but I'm sure it's right for some super Christian out there. No, no, you're righteous if you're in Christ. You have been declared by God to have right standing with him. You're approved through what Christ has done. His life of perfect obedience, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection. You are righteous if you're in Christ. You know, we don't want to come across as holier than thou to our friends or whatever. But righteousness is about being right with God. It's about having right standing before the Lord. It is his legal forensic declaration publicly that this one is mine and this one is right with me. That's what it means to be righteous. Holy, you know, it's not about moral superiority to your friend or neighbor. It's about living by faith in Christ. It's about the communicable attributes where, where we become like God. We become conformed to the image of his son. We become more like our older brother, Jesus. Now, how do we do that? Well, I remember when I first came to know Christ, I was a freshman at the University of South Carolina. I'll spare you the whole story, but it was a transforming experience for me. It was akin to Paul on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, because I lived far away from God and was involved in all kinds of, of the stuff that we already described, the old self, the ignorant, impure, and ill-tempered. Man, that was me. And the Lord laid hold of me my first week on campus. Very excited. But then, as I said, comes to your awareness pretty soon, uh uh-oh, I still struggle with temptation. I still sin. And there I am, the campus in August, the campus of the University of South Carolina, 26,000 undergrads, all 18 to 22 years old. Half of them were girls, and they were good-looking. And so I'm walking around the campus, and the way I went to a big high school, and me and my buddies, without getting graphic here, me and my buddies, we're checking out girls, okay? I'll just leave it at that. We're checking out girls. That's how I train myself to think. Well, now I'm a Christian. Now I've got a new nature. I'm walking around this campus. It's pretty weather and warm. Girls wearing shorts. I'm walking around. There's girls everywhere. I'm surrounded. I'm walking around, so I started doing this. I started going, I'm dead to sin. Romans 6, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm, I'm literally walking with, I'm staring at my feet. I mean, I'm not joking. People, some of my friends, they thought I was stuck up because I wasn't saying hi to them on campus because I'm walking like, I'm going, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Well, that wasn't very good. Uh, it wasn't very fun. It wasn't very enjoyable. And I was forgetting the rest of Romans 6.11. What else does it say? It says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Yes, it says that. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. That makes all the difference. It's not enough to just put off the old. You've got to put on the new. You've got to be transformed. You've got to be renewed in your mind, in Christ, and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so instead of walking around campus with my head down going, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I started focusing instead of being, I'm alive to God. I have right standing with God. God approves of me. I have the Holy Spirit resident in my life. I have power. To think about whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of excellence and worthy of praise. I can think about those things. I can walk around campus with 
my head up. I can say hello to my friends. I can notice that a girl is attractive and, and, and not dwell on that in unwholesome ways. Righteous and holy, the communicable attributes of God. Uh, David F. Wells, in his book, God in the Wasteland, said, Worldliness is what makes sin look normal and righteousness seem odd. Wouldn't you say that's true in our culture today? Worldliness is what makes sin look normal and righteousness look odd. Uh, Isaiah puts it something to the effect of, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Um, let's move on. The second half of the passage. You need to read it. Verses 25 through 32. Okay, the first half of the book of Ephesians is just about doctrine. It's about who we are in Christ. Second half of the book of Ephesians, there's commands all over the place. What does this do in our lives? Here we go. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, we're going to pray after the sermon. Some of you are going, oh, good, he's done. No, no, we're going to pray after the, done with the sermon. And we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and we'll say what? Forgive us our debts. How? As we forgive our debtors. We're going to say that and hopefully it's not rote. If we've experienced God's love and forgiveness in our lives, we have to extend that to other people. The scripture says so. Jesus tells that story. Gee, I can't remember where it is in the Gospels. But um, uh, he gives a parable about the debtor, the man who owed a debt that was huge and he couldn't repay. And the one to whom he owed it let him off. And then the same guy goes out and he finds somebody owes him like the equivalent of 20 bucks or whatever. He says, pay, pay me what you owe me. And he says, I can't. He says, well, to debtor's prison with you. Well, the first guy hears about it who gave a vast, vast debt, 17 years wages. Says, you're going to give him a hard time about 20 bucks? Uh-uh. Well, now I'm paraphrasing, but maybe you knew that. Um, but what Christ says there is that's the same deal with our forgiveness we can't claim to be forgiven by God and then refuse in the hard-hearted bitterness of what's going on inside of us to refuse to extend that to other people Frederick Beekner says of the seven deadly sins anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds to smack your lips over 
grievances long past, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain that you are given and the pain you're giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. That's the difference between righteous anger and selfish anger that you allow to turn into bitterness in your heart. So our takeaway is head, heart, hand. Not the old self, but the new self. Learn Christ. Learn Christ. Did you hear when Bob read from Matthew 11 that, you know, come unto me, I'll give you rest passage? It says, come unto me and learn of me. Are you learning of Christ? You talk about the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. The word disciple means a learner. Are you a disciple? Are you a learner? Are you a follower of this Jesus? Learn Christ because truth is in Jesus. The world doesn't know the truth. The world is in denial of the truth, suppresses the truth. I could give you examples, but I won't. The the invitations of Matthew 11 that Bob read for us are come, take, and learn. That's the invitation of Jesus. And in terms of extending forgiveness to other people, a a lot of this, I'm going to tell, I think, three things today about when I first came to know Christ. The, The... So there I am, freshman, University of South Carolina, coming to know Christ, dealing with my thought life and purity, learn to walk in purity. Immediately, even prior to that, I think, was my family. Um, I hated my father. I was embittered towards my father. Uh, My father walked out on our family. I was, I think, 12 years old, I think. I remember the night that he walked out. I remember what happened. And I hated him for it. I hated him because he had also hit my mother on more than one occasion. But as I experienced God's love and forgiveness in my life, God enabled me to extend that to my father and to forgive him. And let me just say this to you about that. My forgiveness that the Lord helped me to extend to my father is sort of twofold. One was kind of a lump sum down payment. I I forgave him. I let go of that bitterness, and I forgave him. But along with that, I had to keep forgiving him. Not every day of my life, but a lot of days. Even still, in my he's gone now, and even still in my attitude, I have to live out the forgiveness in my attitude that I extended to him long ago. Learn Christ because truth is in Jesus. Uh, The bullet point under head to know. We are members of one another. Members doesn't mean like church members here. It means the mutual interdependence in the body of Christ. We talked about this last week from the first half of Ephesians 4. If you missed it, a lot of people are traveling, spring break and stuff. You can go, you know, if you can't sleep, go to our our website. Listen to last week's sermon, okay? 
we're, we're members of one another. There's mutual interdependence. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And know also that you are sealed by God's Spirit. Verse 30. You are sealed. You are stamped with God's sign of ownership. You are, as Kirk Franklin and the New Nation used to have t-shirts saying, you are God's property. God's authenticating marker that we are his and we belong to him until the day of redemption, the consummation of all things at that day, the great day, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not cause him sorrow or distress. Do not quench the Spirit, it says similarly in 1 Thessalonians 5. All right. Heart. Be renewed. There there are three B's in this passage. I didn't make these up. They're in the passage. Be renewed, verse 23. Be angry, verse 26. Be kind, verse 32. There they are. Be renewed. Did you hear when Bob read the very familiar Romans 12, 1 and 2 about presenting yourselves to God? That's part of the process of renewal. And you need to let Scripture wash over you in, in your mind. Um, more on renewal. Titus 3.5. Did I mark it? I did not. Titus 3.5 says this about our renewal. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Be angry. We already talked about that. Being renewed. Do you know anybody? I was trying to think of somebody in the church. I'm still learning you all. I've only been here a few months, still learning you all. Wish we had someone in common that I could easily pull up. Somebody that, down south I described some of my Christian friends as, you know, that, that fellow, he's got a lot of sanctified common sense. Clear-headed thinking because of the work of God and the process of renewal in that brother, in that sister's life that I value because they're in God's word and they're around God's people. Be renewed, be angry. Angry. Uh, jot this one down, we don't have time to look it up. Mark 3. In Mark 3, Jesus is going to do a no-no. At least that's what some thought. He's going to heal a man on the Sabbath. And they're watching, they're waiting to see what he's going to do, if he's going to do it. There's a man with a withered hand. Because if he does it on the Sabbath, they can say he's a rule breaker. See, he's a bad guy, we told you. And, And you know what it says about Jesus? It says that he looked at them and that he was angry at their hardness of heart because they cared more about their rule-keeping than they did about affecting healing of this man. He was angry at their hardness of heart. Uh, Be kind, verse 32. Be Christ-like, be useful, be gracious, be understanded, be be tender-hearted, empathetic, compassionate, Forgiving as Christ forgave you. 
giving grace that pardons freely. When we pray in a moment, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I hope you mean that. It's a challenge to each one of us as we think about those very familiar words. Am I a recipient of grace? Then I've got to extend it to others. Uh, speak the truth in love. Uh, hand, to do. There's two things to do for our last point here. Hand, to do. Speak the truth in love, verse 25. Well, it just says speak the truth. I got the in love part from last week, verse 15. I wish we could camp out here on the power of words. We should not be brutally blunt, nor should we beat around the bush. It's, not, it's neither one of those things, right? Brutally blunt, well, that may be the truth, but not in love. I've been on the receiving end of that some over the years in the church, I tell you. Or beating around the bush. There's plenty of that, too. If you're old like me, Chip and Dale, the, the, the chipmunks. No, after you, no, after you, I, I insist. You're so polite that you don't want to deal with what needs to be dealt with. You want the people of the church to lose confidence in their leaders? Leaders? Just sweep things under the rug. Just don't deal with stuff that everybody knows needs to be dealt with. That's how you'll lose your people. Speak the truth in love. Um, in the American Standard, I remember, so last story from my freshman year, I come to know Christ and I read Ephesians 4.29 in the New American Standard. Actually, I read it first in the Amplified, then the New American Standard. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And I thought, oh my goodness. See, I was master of the zinger. I was, I was dripping with sarcasm. I was master of the one-liner, the cut-down, because I thought it was funny. And I read Ephesians 4.29. I thought, man, I need to become a mute. I, 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 my words need to give grace. They need to be the right ones at the moment for the benefit of the hearers. I can't speak. No, you can speak. You can speak in Christ. Build, them, build your brothers and sisters up. Speech that is constructive and fitting and grace-giving. And you extend yourself to them in love. And you promote your relationship, your fellowship in Christ with them. Speak the truth in love. Share. Verse 28. There's dignity in an honest day work. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. As long as it is honest... The scriptures say, if you won't, a, man, a man won't work, neither shall he eat. The scriptures say that a man who won't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so we're to work, we're to work hard, and we're to share, we're to be generous. I tell you what, one of my observations about this wonderful congregation, I'm still just getting to know folks, but those that I have mixed with, I think the, the people of this church are very hardworking. You know, the, the finances of this church, they're, in my opinion, pretty, pretty sound, pretty solid. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know who gives what, but I don't know that any of y'all are high rollers or whatever here. I, I, I think it's that the people of this church, by and large, are hardworking people who are generous and who give to support this church and the uh, spread of the gospel. Put off and put on. Put away falsehood, speak the truth. Don't react in anger and lash out, but respond swiftly. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. 
right? Isn't that the, the, the advice that all old guys give, you know? You ask them how we've been married for so many decades, and they all say, never, went to, never go to bed angry. Well, there you go. Do that. Deal with it. Don't steal. Instead, work hard and share. Watch your mouth. Be careful with your words. Use them to encourage. Don't grieve the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. Are you helpful or hostile? Are you building up or are you tearing down? Are your words constructive or are they destructive? And this passage also supplies us not just what to do and what not to do. Other world religions can offer that, right? Don't steal. Don't be mean. Other world, the difference about our faith is twofold. One is we have the power to pull it off. We have the Holy Spirit resident within us. And the second is in Christ we have all the reasons. We're members of the same body. We don't want to sin or give the devil an opportunity. We want to be generous. We want to give grace instead knowing that we were sealed with God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Put off and put on. Lord, these are relatively simple um, ideas, concepts, but so hard for us to do. Such a challenge in every one of our lives. We know that um, if any man does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, and none of us, none of us qualify. We know that First John says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And Lord, so we have that, the vestiges of the old self, the old sin nature, but we have a new nature in Christ, and we have your spirit implanted in our hearts, and we have your word, and we have one another to encourage us along the way. Let us do that, not in our own strength, but in the power of of your Holy Spirit, for we pray in Christ's name. Lord, we also would pray um, for the needs of our church, the needs of our people. Some need employment so they can work hard. They want to. And some need to be able to forgive people in their lives, and they're struggling with that. They're wrestling with that. Help them to wrestle before you. Grant them success. Amen.